0: Welcome to the Italian Football Podcast with John Solano, Carlo Garganese, and Nima Tuvali.
1: Hello everyone and welcome to the Italian Football Podcast and welcome to the very first interview episode of the italian football podcast we are very 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 excited during these weekly interview episodes we will be bringing you a special guest from the Calcio world and for our very first one we have a very big one we're starting it off huge we are very pleased to welcome sven goren erickson the former manager of lazio fiorentina roma the english national team before we bring him on, though, if you would like to gain access to all episodes of the Italian Football Podcast, you can go to patreon.com slash T-I-F-P. Again, that is patreon.com slash T-I-F-P. So without any further ado, we are proud and honored to welcome managerial legend Sven Gorn Eriksson to the Italian Football podcast. Sven, how are you doing? First off, thank you so, so much for joining us because this is a massive honor. How are you doing?
2: I'm fine. It's a pleasure to be with you. I'm fine. Thank you. Even if it's Corona times.
1: Yeah, yeah, you're not joking. It is absolutely a very delicate, awkward moment for everybody. But again, I, I hope you're doing well. So let's just start with the beginning of your career, particularly the beginning of your career in the CDA. So, You arrive at Roma in the summer of 1984. This is following successful stints at IFK, Gothenburg, and Benfica. So with Roma, you won the Coppa Italia. You fall just short of winning the Scudetto in your second season, despite being level with Juve with just a couple of matches to go. So what are your memories from your first job in Italy and that title race particularly? Is there anything that you remember that stands out above the rest? Well, uh,
2: of course, I remember a lot of things. Uh, I came to a team who has been very successful for, uh, during uh, the year before I, I arrived there. Uh, They've been winning the league two years before. And the year before I arrived, they played Champions League final against uh, Liverpool at home. And they were losing yes. penalties. Uh I struggled the whole first year, a lot. With the mentality, uh, I had a very good team, but a very old team and a very not hungry team because uh, they had Bruno Conti, Roberto Cruzzo, Graziani. They were all big, 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 big stars. They were kings in, in, uh, in Rome. And to do what I asked them to do, to run a lot, <laughs> to come on time, they didn't really like that. So <laughs> I struggled. And then during my whole first year, I was not allowed to sit on the bench. I had to sit on the, in the stands and I couldn't go into the dressing room in half time either. So many times during my first year in Roma, I, uh, I regret that I left Benfica, really. But second year was much better and uh, uh, we should have won the league We second uh, game from end. Uh, we only had to beat Lecce and Lecce was already in, in Serie B and we didn't. So we, we would have won the league then, but we didn't.
1: As a follow-up to that though, can you discuss how difficult it is to work in the city of Rome? People such as Fabio Capello have been very outspoken about this. It's a difficult environment with a very particular set of supporters. Is that something you agree with? You agree that this city is quite challenging to work in?
2: I totally agree. I mean, the the teams winning uh, the big titles, uh, Scudetto and and Europe and so on and uh, Coppa Italia, that is uh, you, Milan and Inter. uh, Historically, I think... Uh, rarely another team will win the the league very very rarely Uh, I don't have any percentage any statistic but uh, that's the three big teams and if you can win the league with uh, one of the other teams like uh, in Rome or Verona or something like that, that's great that's uh, big big but the interest of football in Rome is incredible they have their own, more or less their own newspaper coming out in Rome, Corriere della Sport. Yes. And that covers Roma and Lazio uh, mainly. More than half of the paper is full of uh, Roma and Lazio. They have I guess four or five radio channels in in the city of Rome. And they're talking four hours Lazio and four hours Roma. Every day. Seven days a week. <laughs> <laughs> so it's uh, it's beautiful if you're successful. It's very tough if you struggle uh, winning games.
0: I just wanted to ask you quickly, you said you weren't allowed in the dressing room and, and you weren't able to coach in, in the first year on the bench or, or near the team. Why was that? What was the reason for that?
2: Because I didn't allow uh to sit on the bench. But really? That- yeah, but then in second year, they allowed foreigners but you had to work with an Italian. You had to sit on the bench with an Italian uh, coach. Mm, interesting. You know, before me, it was Lidon. He, he, he's Swedish, but yeah, he didn't Lidon. count as Swedish. Right. He had all his life, professional mm. life in Italy, so he was Italian
3: good to see Italy hasn't changed much with these with these old rules <laughs> <laughs> no 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 Italy is Italy yeah it absolutely is okay well so, so moving on after Roma you, you you took over at Fiorentina where you coached a young Roberto Baggio so I would like to know what was it like coaching Baggio and and, and is he the best natural talent maybe that you that you coached in your career
2: for sure, he's one of the best. Uh, I had many. Uh, I had Wayne Rooney. He was not bad, neither. <laughs> but, <laughs> you know, you know, uh, Baggio was fantastic when he came. He came with uh, coming back from a bad knee injury. So, in the beginning of the first season there, he, he was not really ready. He played, but he didn't play well, and he couldn't train 100%. But you could already see at that stage that this, this would be a big, big player. He had uh, more or less everything as a football player. He had the vision. He scored goals. He made assists. He could dribble. Uh, and physically, he was not a m- monster, but physically, he was good. He was very strong, very, very strong legs. Uh, so he became better and better, and I mean second year we we reached europe and that was very much thanks to him and uh, Dunga and borgonovo
3: yeah he was my hero as a as a kid i i used to I used to have his yellow Diadora boots, and uh, I used to want to have his ponytail, but my my mum wouldn't my mum wouldn't let me have. It. <laughs> okay, well, so after Fiorentina, you you returned to to Benfica, and uh, and you enjoyed great success once again. But for for fans of Italian football, they most remember that spell at Benfica for the the European Cup final in in 1990, where you lost to Arrigo Sacchi's um, legendary Milan team one 0 in the final. What what do you remember about that final and and, and is that Milan team maybe the best side that you, that you ever faced in your career? Uh, Milan
2: at that time was the best team in the world, the best club team in the world. No doubts about that. I, I mean, if you if you only take the four engines, uh, Gullit, Van Ru- Basten uh, and, and Rijka, those <laughs> all over 190, all quick, good technique, extremely good football players. Then you add half of the Italian national team or more to that. With Baresi Costa Corta Maldini, Ancelotti Evani uh, name them. That was a great team, great great team. So with Benfica there uh, we know that it would be extremely difficult to beat them. And and it was I think we did we Benfica we did very well, we defended very well against them, but we couldn't get in behind Barese Costa Corta Maldini uh, many times in ninety minutes. And you know how Milan with Zaki they played. They played very, very short team. They played offside all the time, pressure on the ball. So it was very difficult to come in behind them. And we were not good enough to do that. We had maybe one chance in 90 minutes. So But we lost 1-0 and, well, nothing to say about it. They were better than me.
0: To move on a little bit further uh, after that, um, you came back to Italy. You came back to Sampdoria in 1992. And, and I find that part of your career... Maybe some of the most fascinating work you did in your career, mainly because of the limited resources you had uh, with the Blue Check and also the fact that you you were you worked with Roberto Mancini and Siniša Mihailović, two players which you had a very close relationship uh, moving forward. Uh, I'm keen to hear what your first impressions uh, impressions of them as people and 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 players were, and and how important do you think they were for the success you had later on in your career.
2: Oh, it's a lot of things to say about that. Uh, You know, when uh, I first heard from Sampdoria, I was in Benfica. I got a phone call from uh, someone. I don't think it was the owner. It was a uh, vice chairman someone. And I was invited to Monte Carlo to have a talk about uh, moving because my contract with uh, Benfica finished. This was at Eastern time before I started the work. I arrived there to a very nice hotel in Monte Carlo, by private plane, and uh, I met in that hotel uh, the owner, the president, Mantovani, with two players, uh, Mancini and Lialli. <laughs> and uh, I was surprised, what what are they doing here, I thought, uh, <laughs> when you're going to ne- negotiate with the new coach? <laughs> and... He presented himself uh, the chairman said uh, I have heard your name, he said, but I don't really know a lot of football, so I don't really know if you are good or not, he said to me. <laughs> but these two guys here, probably you know them, he said. They have put into their head that the only coach they want for the next time next uh, years in Santoria is you. So that's why you are here, he said. <laughs> <laughs> That's so amazing. I was chosen by Vialli and Mancini, I would say. Uh, it made a, we, we made a contract, and I stayed in Sampdoria for five years. And unfortunately, before I started there, Mantovani phoned me and said, Mr., uh, I have, I cannot compete any longer with Milan, Juventus, and Inter uh, economically, so I had to sell Vialli. Before you start, and he sold into Juventus. So I never was a coach of Viale, even if he chose me as a, as a coach. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it was a great time because Sampdoria was a very familiar club, and uh, we had good scouts, bought uh, young players like Carambeau, Siedorf, Verdon, who later became great, great football players, among the best in the world. And uh, as you said, Mancini, of course, Mancini, he was uh, Sampdoria, he was coach, he was kitman, he was uh, <laughs> fixing the, the food, he did everything. <laughs> he was a president as well, I think. So And the captain, of course. And... Um, I met Mihailovic there, of course. Mihailovic, he was on loan from Roma, and he was a left winger. And after some months, I told him, Sinisa, you are not a winger. (laughs) He said, (laughs) you are a defender. I said, no. He said, I'm not a defender. So we started to put him as a left defender. But uh, after a while, I said, no, Sinisa, you are a central defender. And he protested. He didn't want to play there so after some weeks I forced him you have to play another way on the bench and he was furious (laughs) (laughs) and he did uh, the first game very very well and then he became one of the best in the world uh, he came and uh, hugged me after every every goal he scored and that's the minimum he could do because I saved his football life (laughs) Hmm. economically and and (laughs) by years by far (laughs) Well you so, also these two players of course I when I went to Lazio after that uh, these two plus Sebastian Veron these three I wanted to take with me
0: then then obviously Lazio as you mentioned too mentioned and, and your go the goal, I mean the, the the real golden age of your Italian career where you won won pretty much everything there was to win and another your UEFA Cup final which you lost but you won the Cup Winners Cup after that I mean I mean aside from um, Craniotti's financial backing what do you think was the secret to this fantastic success that you had at Lazio in Rome a city that you yourself you see yourself earlier said today is, in this interview you said that it's it's a very difficult place it's a very it's a it's a pressure cooker
2: pressure cooker that's a good expression <laughs> <coughs> yeah um the secret one of the secrets as you said was that uh, between Cragnotti and me, we became uh, professional friends, but also personal friends. And he did more or less everything I asked him to do by selling Signori, which was a scandal, uh, according to, to the Italian media at that time, by buying more or less every player I asked for he should have bought Mancini, uh, Mihailovic and Ron the first year. I told him, buy these three plays and I guarantee you we win the, 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 the league, the Scudetto. He only bought Mancini and the second year he bought Mihailovic and third year he bought Veron and then we won the league. So when we won the league, I told him, you could have bought these <laughs> two and we would have won three times. <laughs> And he said, Mister, it's enough with one. It's okay. <laughs> oh, so God. Uh, the only one he didn't buy, which I asked for, was uh, Battistuta. And I can understand that he was extremely expensive, and he was not young at that time when he played for Fiorentina. But he what? bought Salas instead, so it was not bad.
0: Were you close to buying Batistuta? Because I mean, obviously
2: he's going to Roma. I wanted uh, Battistuta before he went to Roma. But uh, at the end, Kragnotty said, no, mister, we will never get any any kind of money back from that. So we found Salas and we bought him instead.
0: Yeah, and, and you won, you finished uh, in runners-up one year and then you won the, the year after that, after the most dramatic, yeah. I mean, if we talk about dramatic Scudetto deciders, Juve against Parugia away, uh, you winning in in Rome that that night i mean it must have been crazy i mean have you got any great stories to tell us from the celebrations that <laughs> night because it must have been mad
2: the celebration was great but before that when you you finish your own game and you have done what you should do to to be able to win the league and it the last game and finished and then you're sitting in the dressing room and i remember no player took the shower no player changed position they were sitting just sitting for 45 50 minutes (laughs) waiting for the game in Perugia to finish Perugia Juventus and it was stopped because of a heavy heavy rain coming and that's a very particular way to win a title because you're sitting I couldn't sit I was moving all the time and (laughs) and uh, you cannot do anything you can only pray if you want. <laughs> uh, and uh, hoping that Juventus will not score. Perugia had scored. And, and that's what uh, happened. But there were a long 45 minutes. Extremely long. The longest in my life, I think. <laughs> and, uh, but it's beautiful because I think the whole 70,000 at Stadio Olimpico stayed, more or less all of them, or extra forty five minutes to wait and see what happened in perugia and when uh, When it was clear that we had won the league that was that was a big party <laughs> Jews <laughs> and half of the city, not the whole city because half of Roma got crazy, absolutely crazy, and I lived it in the centre of the city, and I should go home after hours. And it was impossible and they recognized me. I had a Volvo and <laughs> it stopped in the traffic and I think 10 people, fans were on the roof of the Volvo. <laughs> so the police had to come and take the Volvo and take me home by a police car. <laughs> but uh, yeah, scary. But uh, it was great. And uh, I think uh, we deserved to win. The league, and we should have won it one year before. Mm. We didn't, but uh, as Cranotti said, once is okay. <laughs>
3: <laughs> well, it was certainly an certainly an amazing achievement. And and after Lazio, you went to 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 take over as the manager of England, and you know they were in a crisis when you I remember it well, struggling to qualify for the World Cup. Um, and you immediately turned their fortunes around. You you. You thrashed Germany 5-1 in Munich, which is a historic result. And then at the 2002 World Cup, got to the quarterfinals and and only went out to to that Ronaldinho goal, which was a bizarre goal, lobbing David Seaman from from miles out. What what do you remember about that game? And and more importantly, I'd like to know, do you think Ronaldinho meant that or was it a fluke?
2: Every time I met Ronaldinho after that goal, I think for years in different occasions... Uh, football occasions I always told him you didn't mean to score from there and he always told me yes mister I don't don't believe you you're a liar no 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 he said of course he didn't want to score from there that's impossible and uh, yeah what I remember from that game we started very well, scored 1-0, and just one minute before halftime, they scored in the counterattack. We lost the ball. We could have won it back once, twice in midfield. We didn't, and they scored 1-1. Then they scored 2-1, and they got one man sent off as well. So especially what I remember was when they had 10 men and they didn't need to score a goal, and we in 11, we couldn't take the ball from them. I was criticised, uh, the whole team, but I especially was criticised in England. said, why didn't you attack more? I said, bloody hell, to <laughs> attack, you have to have the ball. <laughs> <laughs> and if you can't win it from them, they, I mean, technically, they, they were the best team and they were overhead the best team and they won the, the, the World Cup, but... When they just went on to keep possession, it was very, very difficult to get the ball from them, and we were, had to run from right to left. They changed side, and uh, we got very, very tired. And when we got it, we didn't have the force to to attack as good as we should have done. But uh, looking at that game, the same day we lost it, and even today, uh, Brazil were better than we we. Uh, they deserved to win, and that's it.
1: Mm.
3: And you are unlucky with England. I mean, you you lost on penalties in Euro 2004, and and then again um, at World Cup 2006 in your last match against against Portugal, which is a game that's famous for the Rooney red card and and then Ronaldo's wink to the sidelines. Were you? I mean, you're obviously everybody knows you to be to, to be a very calm, uh, to have been a calm coach, a calm man, a gentleman. But a part of you must have been a little bit unhappy with, with the role that, say, Ronaldo played in, in the Rooney sending off?
2: Well, Ron, uh, Ronaldo was smarter than Rooney, but he was older as well, so more experience. But what I really regret, uh, regret, what I, difficult to accept is that 2006, I think there were no better team than England in the World Cup. I won't say that we were the best, but there were no better teams. Uh, Italy won it, but they didn't play brilliant football. Spain hasn't come to became the great team they were later. Germany was so-and-so, so, Brazil so-and-so. No, I thought, and I think the players as well, they thought that we could reach the final 2006. And then once again, penalty shootouts. And of course, you talk about luck. It's, we are not very lucky because in that game we played one hour with uh, ten men against eleven, and we we created chances against them and could have scored, but at the end it became as it became. And what I regret there is that I didn't take in a mental coach for penalty shootouts. I should have done that. But I thought the team I had was very experienced with uh, Lampard, Jeddah, Beckham, and so on and so on. Uh, but um, no. We came to penalties and we, we we failed. I should have taken a mental coach for that, and maybe the result would have been different. Maybe the same.
0: Who knows? I just wanted to quickly ask you. Speaking of Gerard and Lampard, that never-ending debate about why they, you know, whether they could play together or not. I I've heard you say that you think they can play together, and I, I kind of agree with that. But why don't you why do why don't you think it worked
2: any better? Well, when you say that, I will put a question to you, the same question as I sometimes put to the, <laughs> the to the journalist at that time. OK, you have Beckham, you have Lampard, you have Yedard and you have Scholz. You tell me, who do you put on the bench and who do you take in?
0: <laughs> mm, that's a good question.
2: <laughs> well, you couldn't put any one of them on the bench and no one from the bench would even be close to the quality these four players had different kind of qualities but so that was for me not even i i I didn't even think about putting out one of them absolutely not and for me they could play together and i mean uh, that they played it was not the reason why
3: we didn't win the world Cup for sure final question on england looking back at your legacy do you do you feel you were treated a little bit unfairly by the british by the british press and and to follow up on that how would you compare the British press to the to the Italian press because they're very very different
2: of course I was not fairly treated by the English press but also by the English FA because I was sacked because the fake shake in what they said uh, at the end I was not sacked because football reasons and uh, the making up of all that story was news of the world. And that was before World Cup 2006. Mm. So they did it on purpose, of course, because they didn't care about England and the World Cup. They wanted to sell and they wanted to scandal. And they knew that they wrote bad things and not uh, true things. Later on, a year after, I won in the tribunal against them and I got right and I got wrong, but uh, that was too late. But mm. my, my big de- de- disappointment was that uh, I was sacked by the FA uh, and I told the people in the FA, so you are the same as News of the World. You let News of the World run the country and you 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 allow them to run the FA as well because you know it's not true. Well, it, it was a chance to sack me. I would have accepted to be sacked after after the last game in Germany against Portugal because we didn't reach semi-final or final. That would have been better because that would have been uh, football reasons. And, and that time, they would have sacked me because of football reasons because at that time, quarterfinal was not good enough for the press or for the fans or for anyone. They wanted more.
3: Yeah, and we all saw what happens to the news of the world after. I mean, they they clo- <laughs> they closed down. They 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 hacked phones. They, I mean, yeah, it was illegal stuff, wasn't it? Yeah. No,
2: but I mean, how they treated a lot of people, I I suppose. I, I mean, yeah, putting out a lot of money, costing them for for making up a story, and then they yeah, live- they
3: destroyed a lot of lives. They've destroyed a lot of a lot of, a lot of people's yeah. lives. And they. Really. they-
2: I like listening to your mobile phone for years when I yeah. was that's that's not fair. Of course it's not. But anyhow, life goes on and that's that was England and I don't know if it's the same today. Maybe. Maybe But not. if but if you compare that to the Italian press, how would you I mean how, No, how could... Italian press they couldn't care about your private life. And they would never, ever try to, to make a private life uh, difficult to have a story. No. No, 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 no. If you lose football games in Italy, they kill you. <laughs> but that's fair. That's fair because uh, that's, what I, that's my job. That's my professional job. If I don't do a good job, kill me then. But uh, you could do whatever you wanted in your private life, and no one would care about that. Absolutely. That's a big, big difference. Belenconi, he has done a lot in his private life. <laughs> <laughs> he certainly has. I wanted
0: to ask you about a little bit general about this Italian team. You're your, your, your Roberto Mancini, you the guy who, who was part of choosing you to Sampdoria and will follow you to Lazio. He's, I mean, he's, he's actually he's had a really good uh, managerial career now, and his, this Italian side that he's in charge of is looking really, really exciting. Um, how well do you think they can do at the Euros?
2: Well, I saw part of the games, uh, the game they played against, who was it, against Holland. They played one one nil and I think they did very, very well. I've seen some other games as well and Bancini is doing a great job and I think he hasn't lost one game so far in mm. in the qualification rounds and things for, for the next Euro it is. Well, it might be time for Italy again in the next big tournament. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised and you know Italy normally they defend extremely well. They uh, Mm. are very professional. They are also a little bit dirty if it's necessary, but they can defend one against one and uh, as a collective. And then if they found, uh, if they can find the goal scorer, goal scorers, they are very dangerous. (laughs) So they have now the Lazio center forward, and he's scoring goals for fun. So who knows? And uh, that Mancini would uh, be a great coach, that was, I was sure about that, uh, because he lives on football. He he thinks football, he dreams football, and he's doing everything, as I said, when in, in Sampdoria. He was Sampdoria. Uh, <clears throat> and uh, to have him on the pitch or in the dressing room, it's always, he always wanted the Best for the players and for the team if it was uh, Santoria or when he came to Lazio, the same and he wanted to win.
0: Um, I just uh, you know, being an interista and also being from Sweden, I have have a quick question here. Were you ever how close were you to taking over the Swedish national team? And also, is there any truth that you were close to taking over Inter at some point in 2010 when Mourinho left? Because there were rumors of this.
2: No, Inter, no. I didn't have any... I had um, possibilities to go to Inter when I was in Benfica in my second spell. uh, The year before I arrived to Sampdoria. Then I had... But Benfica didn't let me go. Sweden, uh, yes, it was close once when... That must have been 2008, 2009, when they changed coach. Mm -hmm. But I had just signed another contract with another club, so I couldn't do it. But that at that time I I should have done it
0: but mm-hmm. I agree I think you could have worked wonders with that generation of players to be honest I think you could do that now <laughs> I think I'm the only one <laughs> one of the few people who wants you to take over the Swedish national team now thank you <laughs> right uh, speaking of Sweden I mean your strength as a coach has always been to build a team out of strong individuals Glenn Strømba spoke of this uh, of having him as a coach this is your ability to build and also Vieri uh, Christian Vieri saying you're the best coach he ever had your ability to build a team out of strong individuals yeah I, I've seen him say that um, and in Sweden there's been this debate that the Swedish national team was a better team without Slatan Ibrahimović who's a strong individual technical player what are your thoughts on that whole debate do you think Sweden are were better without him or are better without him
2: well that's very very delicate discussion you're coming with <laughs> you know Sweden has been successful you could say during the last years and they have a collective uh Team, they defend extremely well uh, in the set pieces and in the open game, and they work extremely hard. If you take the strikers during the last uh, Toivonen and Barry uh, last tournament, they worked. They were defenders and attackers. And now Toivonen is away, but uh, the other one he runs the whole day. But you have always a but. You don't have a Messi, you don't have a Ronaldo, you don't have a Slatan, you don't have a Jungberry, you don't have a Brolin, mm. if you talk about Swedish football, mm. in the team. You don't have that guy who can take the ball and dribble once, twice, and put the ball in the net easily by himself. Because Sweden, it's collective work, hard work, good work. And they do it brilliant. So I can understand the coach if he wants to play like that and be very democratic on the on the field. Everyone's running like hell. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you cannot take in Slatan because Slatan. I don't know if he can, but he wouldn't do that. He wouldn't run like Marcus Perry. That's impossible. But probably he would score goals. <laughs> and uh, so it's. Uh, well, mm. it's very difficult to say what's right, what's wrong. But Slatan uh, is one of those players who can score a goal by himself. In Sweden, we really don't have uh, those kind of players. It's coming an uh, interesting one now. Uh, he signed for Juventus.
0: Uh, Kulusevski, yeah, yeah. De- Dejan
2: Kulusevski. He will. Uh, he's only nineteen, twenty, I
1: think. Yeah.
2: I think he has something who can do things for himself. He can. Uh, decide the game for himself and Sweden Mm. needs that and Sweden always had that but recently no we don't Mm. but anyhow you cannot complain on the results uh, Jan Andersson the coach has done you cannot do that
0: I mean speaking of Dejan Kulusevski and Jan Andersson and Zlatan recently uh, as I'm sure you're aware I mean in January Zlatan Ibrahimovic implied very strongly that Jan Andersson had wasn't choosing players with an immigrant background. And then earlier this week, when we're recording this on uh, on the 10th of September, uh, earlier uh, within the last week, Islatan went out on Twitter harshly criticizing Jan Andersson, saying it's further proof, you know, Kulosevsky not starting against uh, France was further proof of racial bias, uh, implying that strongly. I mean, what are your thoughts on that whole debate? What, what do you think is going on here?
2: First of all, I don't want to be involved in that debate. I don't think it has nothing to do with racism or things like that. Absolutely not. Uh, I know Jan Andersson a little bit and No, no, it's not that. I think it's more about his philosophy that uh, he trusts the players he had for many years and he's very loyal to them. And they are very loyal to the Swedish national team and to him. And uh, as I told you, tactically, physically, all those players who play for Sweden Tactically and physically, it's very important that they do the job, that they know how to do the job. Mm. And he is playing normally from start. They know it and they do it. You can be sure that they do it if you wake
1: them up in the middle of the night.
2: <laughs> they know what they would do on the pitch, defending and attacking, for sure.
1: Yeah, I completely agree. So last question here, Sven. And again, thank you so, so much for your time. It is, uh, this has been great. We uh, we truly, truly appreciate it. So our final question comes from our patron, Luca, over at Patreon, and I will bring him on now to let him ask you. Hello, Sven. My name is Luca Criscuolo. During your career, you coached some legendary
3: Italians, such as Roberto Mancini, Bobo Vieri, Roberto Baggio, and a whole host of others of the Italians you've coached which of these players do you think would have a spot in your England team and how would they fit in
2: if you if you have Baggio Mancini Nesta that's <laughs> difficult to put anyone on the bench of them Baggio will score Mancini will create things which nobody else normally could do and Nesta as a defender Well, John Terry or Rio Ferdinand and Nesta, I don't know. You have to play three central defenders, I think. (laughs) (laughs) If you talk about these three players, they could play in any team when they were uh, at their best. Absolutely, they could. And they did.
3: And just to finish off, just for a bit of fun, um, we'd like to play a quick game with you. It's a rapid fire game. So basically what I'm going to do is I'm going to go through um, a very quick list and give you two options, and you have to tell us which of the two you like better. So to start off, are you Messi or Maradona? Maradona. Maradona. Zlatan or Van Basten? Uh, Zlatan, because I'm Swedish. (laughs) Good answer. Roma or Lazio? Lazio. Gerrard or Lampard or (laughs) Skulls? That's a draw. That's a draw. Pizza or pasta? Pasta. Sophia Loren or Anita Ekberg.
2: Sophia Loren, the most <laughs> beautiful woman in the world at that time.
3: I agree. Nadal or Federer?
2: I know Federer a little bit, so Federer.
3: Finally, who's going to win the Scudetto this season? It's easy to say Juventus.
2: <laughs> Hopefully. <laughs> Lazio, because Lazio, before the coronavirus, they were playing the best football. They played better than Inter and better than Juventus. But after the coronavirus, I don't know what happened with Lazio. They lost everything. Next season, no coronavirus, Lazio.
0: And they're coached by one of your former players, Simone Inzaghi, right?
2: Yeah yeah, 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 yeah. Fantastic.
0: What does the future hold for you now? I mean, we're hearing that you might be taking over national teams. Uh, what's happening? What can you tell us?
2: Uh, nothing. It's a lot of rumors, a lot of uh, contacts with agents, some pre-contracts going here and there. and there. No, I don't know. And uh, it's always like that when jobs coming up, agents contacts all the managers, coaches who who's out of work. So I know that I'm not the only one they contact. <laughs> it's a long, long list. So no, nothing. So far, nothing.
0: Would you be open to returning to Italy?
2: Yes, but that would not happen. You know, I left uh, Italy 2000, 2000, yeah, 2000, 2001. So that will not happen. But yes, of course I would. Be. And I think Italian football is getting better and better. Italian football, when I was there uh, during the 90s, that the was best. the best football in the world. Then Premier League took over and probably Premier League is the best football in the world today, the best league. But I think it is on the way back, which will be very good.
1: Yeah, yeah, that's something we all hope for. We I'm sure most of us would love to see the city I return to even halfway to what it was in the 90s, for those of us who remember. So I completely agree with you. Sven, uh, this has been amazing. You've had an incredible career, and it was absolutely fascinating to have you share it with us. You have been far too kind with your time. We greatly, greatly appreciate it. Thank you so, so much. Please stay safe. And everyone, again, thank you so, so much for listening to the Italian Football Podcast. Again, if you would like to get all of the episodes, patreon.com slash T-I-F-P. So thank you all so, so much for listening. And until we talk again next time, bye-bye.